Good morning. Today's word is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I, I want you to, I want to ask you a question about um, what are you struggling with right now? What are the things that are burdening you? What are the things that are causing you such great pain and uh, discomfort in your life? Where are the places where you are questioning whether I will lose hope or lose heart? The title of our message is, We Do Not Lose Heart, and hopefully you'll see that in a couple of places here in this passage. But I, I find that when people go through pain and struggles, what they tend to do with that pain and struggle is that they will tend to avoid it. Some people will just deny it and make it seem as though it's not happening at all and it's just not reality. And there, there are other people that will avert it. They will shift the blame and the responsibility to somebody else and they'll blame the circumstances or they'll blame other people rather than taking personal responsibility in their lives. And, and there are many of us that will anesthetize our pain. We'll anesthetize our pain with TV or video games or, or maybe things even worse, you know, maybe substances that we are using to comfort ourselves or, or sex or whatever it may be. What is it that you do with the pain that's in your life? What do you do with the trials that come at you? Because the reality is, if we're going to be honest, pain is, is real and it, and it hurts and the afflictions are deep and, and lasting. We've heard just some of the testimonies this morning of the pain that our fellow members are going through. And, and I know that if every one of you had an opportunity to stand up here with a microphone, you could talk about the pain that's in your life, the, the emotional pain, the physical pain, the relational pain that's in your life, maybe even the spiritual struggles uh, that you're having. And, and Paul, as he writes this passage, he, he talks about life struggles, ministry struggles. And, and Paul gives us an amazing counsel as to how he handled his life struggles, how he handled his ministry struggles. Now, he's going to talk about the struggles that he's going to have in ministry and how people are going to attack him. He's going to talk about the pains that he's going to have in life because of his work in Christ's work. But I believe that the principles that he talks about here are things that we can learn and take full heart in and plant our feet firmly planted on in our lives, and I pray that you would do that. I was thinking uh, just recently I was driving through a foggy, um, foggy weather, and it was so foggy, and, and there were times as I was driving that it was like I was pumping my brakes because I couldn't see very far in front of me, and, and I was getting nervous, and I was gripping the wheel a little bit stronger because I just was not sure of what was ahead of me. I wasn't sure if there were cars that were stopped ahead of me. And I was just waiting for God to burn that fog off. Maybe I will get through it and I will be able to see clearly. And I I want you to think about that this morning. Maybe you're driving through a fog. Maybe you're driving through a storm right now and you're not sure when it's going to end. Hear these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to only those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us 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 also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? So this morning, Lord, as we try to work through this passage Father, there's so much here, we're not going to be able to cover everything, but I pray that you would help us to be able to pull out key principles that are here that will help us not to lose heart. Father, we hear that it is based on your mercy, the mercy of your salvation that you've provided us, the mercy of the fact that you have brought us out here to serve one another, and the mercy that you give us in the midst of our suffering. So help us to hear that, that your mercy is so full and so deep and so undeserved for us and so gracious for you to give it to us. Father, help us to see your son because if we do not see your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have freedom. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit because it's your Holy Spirit who transform us from one degree of glory to another and help us to be used to believe you and then to speak of you. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Now, you know, it's, it's uh, these chapter verses and uh, these chapters and the chapter verses were put in there after the writing. Paul did not have chapter 4, verse 1, and, and all the way through. Somebody else put those in, and it's always funny that you would begin a chapter with the word, therefore. 
Um, this week, I'm beginning a chapter with the word therefore, and next week, Lord willing, I'm going to begin another chapter with the word therefore in Romans chapter 8. Um, when you say therefore, it is therefore because it is be connecting to something previous. And in chapter 3, if you read it this afternoon, you're going to read about a greater covenant, that we have the old covenant that was given through Moses, and then we have a greater covenant that we see in Christ. And in this greater covenant, and the greater blessing, and, and the fading glory that Moses had to a glory that continues to progress in our lives. And Paul says this incredible ministry that he's been given is an opportunity to, to tell of that covenant and to show that glory out into the world. So Paul says, therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, I do not lose heart. And what, what jumps out at me in this verse verse is this. I need to learn how to fight discouragement. Maybe, maybe you don't struggle with discouragement. I, I can at times, so I'll be honest with you. Um, sometimes I can find myself uh, despondent or um, depressed. or There are times that I can be tempted towards anxiety or feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you felt that way. I, I do at times. And so as you come to those times in your life, the way you fight discouragement, Paul says, and the way that I've been able to fight it in my life is to remind myself of who I really am. I am saved by God's amazing grace. I hope you are as well. Paul was able to sit here and say, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Mercy means it's a gift from God. It's undeserved. Paul did not deserve this amazing gift of the ministry. And he says, I don't lose heart, meaning he was not faint-hearted. He was not cowardly. He didn't lack heart. And when we lack heart and when we lack faith, it leads to bad behaviors in our lives. It leads to evil conduct in our lives. And Paul says, I do not lose heart because he is constantly reminding himself of the mercy of God. The mercy of God that has been in his life through his salvation. In, in Acts chapter 9, Paul is thinking that he's got it right and he's living his life, but he is in a fog. He doesn't really see. He thinks he can see. And he's persecuting the church, and Christ strikes him blind. And he says, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's amazing that it was the blindness that Paul's had that brought actual sight to see that he could see Christ in his glory, that Paul was on a broad path to destruction until Christ rescued him. So it was the mercy of God and his salvation that Paul constantly went to. That caused him to fight the discouragement in his life. And, and brothers and sisters, I, I need you to do that. As you go through the dis discouraging times in your life, I need you to remind yourself of the salvation that Christ has provided for you. And it's by his mercy that he has called you and brought you. And he's not only called you to salvation, but he's called you to service. Paul said here that it was the ministry of mercy. That he has been called into ministry by the mercy of God. So he, he focused on the mercy of God and his salvation, but he focused on the ministry of, and the mercy of God and his service. He says here in verse 2 that we renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to temper with the word of God. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. Paul, knowing the gospel, he says, I need to be faithful in proclaiming this gospel message that has been given to me mercifully. I need to share this with other people. 
He says, I don't want to be deceitful. I don't want to adulterate. I don't want to delude God's word. I don't want to conceal the gospel. I don't want to corrupt the gospel. I want to share the gospel fully and freely to everyone because it has been fully and freely given to me. See, when we add to the gospel or when we subtract the gospel, we lose the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not going to do that. Spurgeon said this, we tend to believe the popular lie and we make it that way because it becomes better than the offensive truth. So what we will do as pastors sometimes, I don't even know if I would call them, they will get up into a pulpit and they will give a popular lie out into the world because it tickles people's itching ears and it's the thing that they want to hear rather than giving the offensive truth of the gospel. Paul would have none of that. Paul says, I must preach honestly. I must preach openly. I must preach it with integrity because he was doing it before the face of God. I stand before one judge the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be hundreds of people in this room today, but there's really only one judge I stand before. And I will be judged based on what I say and how I live, and so will you. So Paul said that he fights discouragement by reminding himself of his salvation. He fights discouragement by reminding himself of his service. He goes back to a faithful proclamation of the gospel. But as Paul proclaimed the gospel, why was it that so many people were not believing? You know, it amazed me over these last several weeks. I've been watching some news and watching the world, and it's like it confounds me that the things that people believe today, they believe are true. Romans and Paul and Romans said they professed to be wise, but they became what? Fools. And Paul would preach this gospel. It was so clear to him now, and he could not understand why people could not see the beauty of the gospel. Because there are two responses to the good news. We see that in verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to only those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world have blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. So I don't know if you ever wonder why it is that more people do not respond to the good and great news of the gospel. It's because they do not turn to Christ, they turn on Christ. That, that what happens is this, that their minds have been blinded. Satan has blinded this world. I hear these pundits on TV speak with such arrogance, such pomp- pompousness, that they think what they're saying is right. And it's a lie right from hell, and they don't even realize it. And they're blinded. Maybe there are some here that are sitting in our sanctuary this morning that have been blinded by the world and are missing the beauty of the good news of the gospel. Satan is called the prince of the world in the scriptures. He here is called the God of this world. Make no mistake, God is sovereign, king of kings, and Lord of lords over all. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But at a point, temporary point today, Satan has rulership. These people that are rejecting Christ are not innocent victims. Satan has blinded them, but they are actively rejecting Christ. 
It's interesting, in John chapter 3, verse 19, you know, after the great and glorious for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but those will have everlasting life. In John chapter 3, verse 19, it says that they have loved the darkness instead of the light. That the light has come into the world and people have loved the darkness and Satan is keeping them in that love of the darkness. Satan tends to attack the way we think. Satan tends to attack what we believe. Satan tends to attack our perceptions. And it's interesting today that one commentator said this, that the world today, especially in the Western culture, we think less, learn less, and use our minds less. We spend so much time on things like this that we don't spend time in God's Word. And by doing so, the God of this world can blind the minds of unbelievers. Paul was convicted deeply that he was on a blind path to destruction and God blinded him physically to bring him spiritual life. We need that today. Paul recognized that there was that that light came there miraculously. See this in verses five and six. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul didn't preach himself. There are many pastors today that will get up into the pulpit with a lot of jokes and a lot of personal experiences, and that probably feels pretty good to you, to a congregation, because he feels so real to you. And I feel so connected to him, but this man cannot save you. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can. And what Paul was saying is, I'm not preaching myself. I'm preaching Christ as Lord because the only Christ is the Savior. He's the only one that can bring you to the Father. He's the only one that can heal your brokenness. He is the only one who could grant you forgiveness. He is the only one that can set you free. Paul knew that. He preached it over and over again in his life. Salvation is a miracle. As miraculous as creation, he goes back to Genesis chapter 1, let light shine. As miraculous as it was for God to bring light out of darkness and to create this world. It is similar miracle when he brings light spiritually to dead people. When he gives eyesight to blind people spiritually, he makes them see, he makes them hear, he brings them to life. And Paul says, I can't get enough of this. I want to share this with other people. Our natural tendency is to put ourselves in the center of the story, isn't it? Some of us in this room struggle with self-exaltation. We make much of ourselves. Some of us in this room struggle with self-belittlement. We are constantly beating ourselves down. Some of us in this room struggle with self-pity, constantly looking at our circumstances and woe is me. But the problem with self-exaltation and this problem with self-belittlement and the problem with self pity is it all about it's all about what self Paul says I have nothing of that I want the glory and the miracle of God's work in people's lives and I'm used as but an instrument and I want you to be able to see the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ what an amazing word it is Jesus says to Philip 
How long have I been with you and you still don't know me, know me Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen who? The Father. And, and Jesus said in his great priestly prayer that I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given to me because you have loved me before the foundation of this world. Jesus desired that we would see his glory and he desired that he would take you to his Father. So Paul didn't lose heart because he reminded himself of the mercy of God in his salvation. He did not lose heart because he reminded himself of the mercy of God in his service. He did not lose heart because he focused on the proclamation of the gospel. He did not lose heart because he knew that people will respond to the gospel. It is not based on his work. He is called to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit will open blind eyes. And people will submit themselves or not. It's not on him. So he wasn't concerned about the results. He was concerned about faithfully preaching. And he knew that if anybody came to faith, it was almost as miraculous as what happened in the beginning. And then Paul makes a turn here, which is interesting, in verse 7. He says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, I think part of my problem very honestly, and part of our problem, very honestly, is that we make too much of ourselves at times. And so we need to recognize that we're really not that significant. I know it's hard to, I know in our culture, you know, everybody gets a little trophy, you know, it drives me kind of nuts. You know, I used to get trophies, and then when I didn't get a trophy, I said, I'm going to work harder next year so that I could get a trophy because I'm going to be better. No, everybody gets a trophy today because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, the reality is this. We're not that significant. This water bottle that I am drinking from, I am drinking from this water bottle for the water that's inside of it. What is going to happen to this water bottle after I am done? I am going to throw this in the recycle bin or into the garbage. It's not that significant. It's what's in it that makes it significant. And Paul realized that. Paul says, I am just like a a jar of clay. Back in that culture, a jar of clay was this earthen vessel, and it was of no real value. It could be, it was, um, it limited, it was seemingly worthless. It could be discarded if it was broken. It was what was in the pot that was important. And what Paul is saying here is this, I want you to see that the treasure that God has planted in you, that if you are in Christ, God has planted himself in you, and then he's given you the gospel in you so that he can work through you. That's what makes it significant. And when we make it about ourselves, we are missing the gospel. And so he wants to display, he wants to demonstrate, he wants to reflect Christ, that God is my sufficiency. It's not about me, it is about Christ. I wonder if Paul was thinking back to a um, section in Judges, chapter 7. So if you get a chance this afternoon as well to read about that, in Judges chapter 7, Gideon is fighting and he has an army. And and Gideon has 32,000 men that are ready to fight. And that's a good army. And God says, no, 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 no. He says, everybody that is fearful, send them home. 22,000 men left. Oh, I'm down to 10. 
okay, 10 is not bad. And then God does this other test, and now we're down to 300. God, what are you doing? I had 32,000, now I'm down to 300. What in the world are you doing? And then he had him do something pretty incredible. I don't think many of our military people would do this. But he took a clay pot, and he put a torch in it. He said, put a torch in this clay pot. And what I want you to do, in one hand, I want your guys to have a torch with the clay pot, and in the other hand, I want them to have a weapon, right? No. I want them to have a trumpet. A trumpet? (laughs) And then I want you to surround this army. And it's in the middle of the night, and it's dark, and you can't see. And then at the moment... Gideon was to break the pot and the light would shine and these people would be so distracted. You know what they ended up doing? They ended up killing themselves. So where did all the glory go to? Gideon and his army? No. All the glory went to God. I believe that that's what Paul had in mind when he's talking about these clay pots and the light that is shining. That all the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So I ask you, how do you handle the sufferings that come into your life? Because I said that God, Paul was able to deal with his suffering, or deal with his discouragement, and not to lose heart because he focused on the mercy of God and his salvation. He also was able to focus on the mercy of God in his serving. But third, he was able to focus on God's mercy in the midst of his suffering. See, it was only when those clay pots were broken, in Gideon's case, that the light was able to shine forth. And similarly, in our lives, it is really only when we are broken that God is willing to and able to show forth in our lives. See, we want to keep our lives so together, and and God says, sometimes I need to break you in order to use you. So, how do you handle the sufferings that you endure? For some of us, we are suffering today because of wrongs that we've done. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter, if you're suffering from doing wrong, that's on you. And then what you're called to do, God is gracious. You seek his forgiveness by repenting. And God will forgive you, but he doesn't necessarily remove all the consequences. So if you're suffering for doing wrong, repent, turn to God, do what is right, and you may still have to endure the consequences. But Paul is not suffering for doing wrong. Paul is suffering for doing right. He's preaching the gospel. Maybe you're doing the same. And maybe people in your own family have rejected you because you've shared the gospel. It's like, God, I don't understand. And God says, I am going to break you at times to use you. Trust me. So, so Paul here says this. He says, we are afflicted, verse 8, in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Suffering is real. Suffering is hard. Suffering will at times break you, but suffering is an opportunity for God's grace and mercy to come forth in your life. And Paul needed to remind himself of some great truths that I'm going to ask you to remember here. In verse 8, he talks about the pain that he's going through. He says, I am afflicted in every way. It means that he is hard-pressed. He's under great pressure in life. Maybe you have felt that way. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For when we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever gotten there? Where you've gotten to a point where you despair of life itself? Well, Paul was there. And Paul was afflicted in every way, perplexed. But then look at these next two words. Afflicted in every way, but not but not. It's the triumph of Jesus in your life. But not. Afflicted in every one way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. It is Christ's triumph in your life. He says, I will allow you to go through struggles. You know, be aware that you will go through struggles in this life, but be of good cheer. What? I have what? Overcome this world. Or suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character and character hope. Or as uh, Joseph said to his brothers, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for what? Good. See, see, God can take these struggles, these afflictions, and these perplexing times, and these persecutions, and do something amazing through them. Paul was able to say that I was preserved under these trials. I was perplexed. I was at a loss. I cannot understand this. But I was not at a total loss. It's actually a play on words, this perplexed and not driven to despair. It's a play on words in the Greek. He says, I'm at a loss. I can't understand this, but I'm not at a total loss. I haven't lost everything. He was persecuted. It means he was pursued. He was hunted. He was stalked. He was hedged in. Maybe you felt that way. But he was not forsaken. He was not abandoned. He was not deserted because God says, I will never leave you and I will never, what? Forsake you. Ever. So Paul was able to handle his way through the trials because he reminded himself that he was preserved through those trials. Paul was able to remind himself that he could handle these trials because he reminded himself that he needed to be sacrificial in his life. In verses 10 through 12, he says, always carrying the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul knew that as he was sharing in these sufferings, as he was sharing in this pain, what he was doing is he was seeing the resurrection power of God working in his life and through his life. Paul had said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he says, I die, what? Daily, every day. Or in Philippians 3, verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his what? His sufferings. Not many of us think about suffering as fellowship, but, Je- but Paul did. Or as Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and do what? Follow me. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Over and over in Scripture, what we find is that as you live a life of sacrifice to the King, you may suffer, but God is going to use you for his greater glory. Paul had talked about the fact that he was given over. He was being delivered He talked about the fact that he is feeling life over and over again, and the life was resurrection life, so the suffering produced glory. 
There is no crown without a cross. And so as you go through the path of suffering, God is working in your life mercifully to abuse you, to use you to see converts coming out of your life, to use you to see the character of Christ in your life and through your life. That's what God wants to do for you. So Paul reminded himself that he was preserved through trials. Paul reminded himself that he needed a sacrificial life. But Paul also reminded himself that he needed to be a fruitful life and ministry. He says in verse 12, he says, So death is at work in us, but life in you. See, Paul faced death every single day. He, was, he recognized that when he was converted, can you imagine this? If you read in Acts chapter 9, Jesus said that when he, was, when he saved Paul, he said, I must show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. How many of us would have accepted the call to Christ if you knew that it was going to bring about a life of suffering? See, what is preached today is that, you know, if you believe in Jesus, he's going to take away all of your problems all your financial difficulties, all your relational difficulties, health, wealth, and prosperity. That's what is preached today. That feels good to us. But can you imagine if it was preached that you were going to be saved and now maybe your family is going to reject you? Maybe people are going to turn on you. Maybe people are going to actually hurt you and harm you because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you still trust him? That's what Paul saw. He said, you know what? I'm dying but people are getting saved. And Paul was so excited about seeing that good news. And he says, you know what? If I am willing to go through this, but it is fruitful, there's a purpose behind it. So amazing. Paul in verse 13 says this. He says that he had an unwavering faith in Christ. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been given or written, I believed, and so I spoke. It's a um, citation from uh, Psalm 116, verse 10. So we also believe and we also speak. Paul recognized that he believed this and he shared this. You know, I I don't know if you recognize, for me, I, I see that there is a significant difference between believing in Christ and believing on Christ. Believing in Christ versus believing on Christ. There are millions of people today that say that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have a general belief about him. They believe that he came through the womb of Mary. They believe that he lived on this life. They believe that he died on a cross. They may even believe that he rose from the dead, but they do not trust in him. Have you ever, guys, have you ever done that? I call them a faith ball. Have you ever done those? where you go out into a camp, you know, and they're trying to build up this um, camaraderie and try to build up trust. And what I'm called to do is to turn my back on this person, and this person is behind me, and I turn my back, and I fold my arms, and I am going to fall back into their arms. What foolish person is going to do that? <laughs> well, I would only be foolish if the person behind me doesn't have the ability or the willingness to, to hold me. But Paul was able to turn his back onto God and say, I'm going to fall fully and finally into your hands, Lord Jesus, because I know you have the ability and you have the willingness to do it. And Paul says, I believed in you and I spoke about you. There was this um, program called the Truth Project. And in the Truth Project, the um, writer of the Truth Project had this piercing question. 
And he asked this question, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Let me say that one more time. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? When I heard that, it caught me, pierced me. It was almost like a guy punched in the gut by a heavyweight champion. I lost my breath because I'm sitting there saying, yes, I truly, I believe you, God, but do I really believe you? Do I, do I really believe his word? Do I really believe that this is the eternal word of God? Do I really believe that this is life-changing? Do I b- really believe that this is the only rule for faith and conduct? Do I really believe that it is only through the word that somebody is going to be saved? Do I really believe that it is only through God's word that this is the food for my life, that I need this greater than honey, greater than the honeycomb? Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that prayer is vital, that God, the God of heaven is listening to me today? Do I really believe this? Do you? Paul not only believed in God, in God, but he believed on God. He says in verse 14 that he had this resurrection hope. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul was able to recognize with confident faithfulness that that God is at work today and that God is going to take him to heaven. He served the Corinthians by speaking the truth and he was even willing to suffer for speaking that truth. Why? Because he knew it was going to bring about the salvation of their souls. And that's why he could say in verse 15 that I have been graced. I am so grateful and I want to be God glorifying in my life. He says, for it is for your sake so that the grace that extends this waterfall of grace. The psalmist said that my cup overfloweth, that, but God has given me so much that I don't deserve and I need to share that with others. Abundant life, gracious life, over and over, and an increased in, in gratitude and an increased in glory. He was amply supplied, more than he needed, more than he deserved, and he wanted to share that with other people. So, how did Paul keep from losing heart? He kept from losing heart because he reminded himself of his salvation. He reminded himself of the mercy of God in his salvation. He reminded himself of the mercy of God in his service. He reminded himself of the mercy of God in his suffering. And then he brings it to a close here. He says in verses 16 through 18, he says, again, so we do not lose heart. Same thing he said in the beginning of the chapter, he says it here. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So he makes a contrast of life. The outer life versus the inner life. The, the horizontal, the earthly, the external versus the vertical, the heavenly, and the internal. And he says there's a contrast that's happening in life. And Paul was saying, I will be beaten down externally if it will bring about hope internally. And then hope externally to you. It keeps me from dis- being discouraged. It keeps me from being dispirited. It keeps me from being despondent. It keeps me from being afraid because God is progressively working in and through a believer's life. So I need you to focus on the inner life rather than the outer life. 
That's the second principle that I think I see here. It's not only focusing on the inner life versus the outer life. It's focusing on the weight of glory versus the lightness of the struggles. If you read 2 Corinthians, what Paul calls light struggles are beatings and shipwrecks and stonings and imprisonments. And Paul is going to have his head removed in a number of years. So this is not easy life, but what he said was this. If you compare the weight of the glory of God and the eternity in heaven versus the physical struggles I will go through right now, it's light. It's light. And so when we go through these struggles, we need to focus on the inner life versus the outer life. We need to focus on the weight of glory versus lightness of sufferings. And we need to focus on the eternal versus the temporal. He says here in verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, your version may say. They're just brief. They're just fleeting. But the things that are unseen are eternal. It's interesting that uh, somebody walks into my counseling office and they are spiraling oftentimes. And they are struggling immensely with some problem in their lives. And within 45 minutes, they're walking out for the most part better. What has changed? Has the circumstance changed? No. Has the people that are attacking them changed? No. What has changed is their perspective, their focus. They're focusing now on the inner life versus the outer life. They're focusing now on the weight of God's glory versus the lightness of the sufferings. What are they focusing on? Eternity versus this temporary trial. And they walk out with greater hope. I pray that that's you today. I pray that you would remind yourself that suffering is real. But that God has a response to that suffering that he wants to do in and through your life. I want you to know that there's a reward for the sufferings that you go through. Paul saw it on his earth. He saw the sufferings and he saw people coming to faith. And I want you to see that Jesus Christ is your vision. So I told you I struggle at times with um, being discouraged. And I'll go to the scriptures and I'll go to hymns. and, And I'll just remind myself of who he is. Be thou my vision. O Lord of my heart, not me, else to me save that thou art. Thou my best thoughts by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I in thee one. Or how about this one? How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for his faith, your faith, in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who were for refuge, to Jesus has fled. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed. For I am your God and I still give you aid. I will strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. The last line of that says this, the soul that on Jesus hath lean for repose. I will not, Jesus says, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, 
I never, no never, no never forsake. Paul was able to keep himself from being discouraged and despondent and losing heart because he reminded himself of the mercy of God in his salvation. He reminded himself of the mercy of God in his service, but he also reminded himself of the mercy of God in even his suffering, that God could take the suffering and bring about something good. Will you hear that today? So Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn our eyes upon your son. And help us to look full in his wonderful face. And I pray that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, I, I pray for some that are here, that are hearing my voice, that maybe are still blinded by the lies of this world, blinded by Satan, and have not trusted in your son today. Father, I pray that they would hear that there is no salvation yet through only your Son. No one comes to the Father except for Christ. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, Father, I pray that today, as you did miraculously in creation, I pray that you would do miraculously in people. I pray that you would draw them to faith today. Father, I pray for the many of us that are in this room that do know your Son. I pray that you would help us to see his glory, kind of like Paul saw for this new time, for the first time, your son's glory on that road to Damascus. And then he couldn't help but want to share that light day after day, whereas Gideon's army broke those clay pots to shine out light. I pray that we would trust you today. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen.